Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. And it wasn't until the next morning when my sister came round to drop off our Christmas presents because we'd left them all there. She came round and she looked at me and said that there's something wrong. My mum was called. She came round and they called an ambulance. And the ambulance came and they said instantly that I'd had a stroke. I was only 24. Where it was a Christmas period, they had no members of staff to operate their MRI machine to confirm that I'd had a stroke. So my parents and partner fought to get me to Addenbrooke's where they had full staff and they could do the scan. I really, really was looking forward to it, but I convinced myself that on the day I went home, I would be walking again. I'd convinced myself of that. So when they came and had the conversation with me that I needed a motorised wheelchair to go home, that was when things started to actually click into place that something serious has happened to me. I like to thank my stroke for everything that it's given me because without the stroke, I wouldn't be in the situation I am now. I wouldn't have the relationships with my family that I do now. I wouldn't have the freedom to express myself as much as I do. This is Stroke Stories. I'm Mark Goodyear. In the UK, there are more than 100,000 strokes every year, about one every five minutes. In pregnant women, there's a slight increase in risk of stroke due to increased blood pressure and changes in hormone levels. For every 100,000 women who are pregnant, eight will have a stroke either during pregnancy or shortly after giving birth. A stroke is often sudden, it can be devastating, And while health services have become really good at diagnosis and treatment, after the stroke, patients sometimes find there aren't enough resources to help them while they recover. So we started Stroke Stories, the podcast, to seek out and to hear from stroke survivors. In this podcast, we hear from Anna Smith-Higgs, who suffered a stroke a month after giving birth to her son Henry at the age of 24. I was a salesperson and I was very, very good at sales. I worked in an office and I enjoyed it. I was party hard, lived hard, possibly not as nice as what I am now, certainly not as tolerant. Yeah, I was a completely different person to what I am now. I had my son, who's now 14, on the 24th of November. It was a terrible, terrible pregnancy. I was up the hospital every day for like the last month. And I had him on the 24th of November, 2004. 
and everything was fine and I was enjoying being a mum even though I never particularly wanted children I was quite worried about how I would be having my own baby but I loved it and I was settling into being a mum just perfectly fine then Christmas day 2004 we all meet as a family at my dad's house and we've done this every year so we walked to my dad's I had a glass of wine I hadn't drunk for nine months previously being pregnant and it was about five o'clock and Harry Potter was on the telly and I came over all drunk like everything was funny I couldn't speak properly and I found that quite amusing and then my dad said take her out into the garden, get her some fresh air. She's obviously drunk too much, you know. So they took me in the garden. My brother-in-law brought me a cup of coffee out and I went to grab it with my right hand and it just fell all over me and the glass smashed and I was covered in boiling hot water and then I couldn't walk properly. It was just like I was really, really drunk. So my mum took me and my partner home put me to bed my partner said don't worry I'll look after Henry all night I'll give her a a rest you know she's obviously drunk a bit too much and it wasn't until the next morning when my sister came round to drop off our Christmas presents because we'd left them all there she came round and she looked at me and said that there's something wrong my mum was called she came round then they called an ambulance and the ambulance came And they said instantly that I'd had a stroke. I was only 24 and no one believed them. No one believed them at all because they didn't think it was possible for a 24-year-old to have a stroke. Then the process started of the next six months of my life spent in hospital. First of all, I was taken to Harlow Hospital and where it was a Christmas period, they had no members of staff to operate their MRI machine to confirm that I'd had a stroke. So my parents and partner fought to get me to Addenbrooke's where they had full staff and they could do the scan. So I was taken to Addenbrooke's in the early hours of the Boxing Day morning, had a scan. They said it was a stroke, spent two weeks there where I was, I hated it there because I was hoisted in and out of the bed. My mum had to come and bath me. I remember a nurse washing my hair at the end of the bed. It was just really, really horrible and quite degrading, to be honest with you. It was really, really horrible and hard for me. And then I got transferred back to Harlow Hospital. I was in a ward for one night in a room of my own, which was quite nice. And then I got transferred to the stroke unit. And as soon as I got there, I instantly felt at home. It has to have been the staff. They all became like my family. They looked after me so much. I know I got special treatment because I was younger and Henry was only a month old when it happened. They let him come in to see me whenever I needed. As soon as I'd done my physio, the rest of the day was my own to spend time with Henry and they gave us our own rooms so we could spend time together and the staff just really really looked after me now and I'm still in contact with a lot of them I'm friends with them on Facebook I go up to the hospital to see them still it was the staff at Harlow Hospital that have helped me come on so far and helped it not be such a horrible experience Anna's hospital stay was long 
and at some points uncomfortable, but her focus was always on getting back home. I really, really was looking forward to it, but I convinced myself that on the day I went home, I would be walking again. I'd convinced myself of that. So when they came and had the conversation with me that I needed a motorised wheelchair to go home, that was when things started to actually click into place that something serious has happened to me. And I would not accept the wheelchair to go home. I wouldn't accept it. And they said, well, then you've got to have a manual wheelchair because you can't walk. And I was like, yeah, but I want my arm to come back. And then I started to think, oh, God, what's it going to be like when I get home? Because I'd built it up into my head of being this, going back, going home and being back to normal and being able to do everything that I used to do. And then realising that it wasn't going to be like that. We lived in a flat up three flights of stairs, which obviously I couldn't move back into. So the council found us a one bedroom flat, but it was a terrible, terrible mess. So what Craig and my family decided to do was move everything that we needed into the living room. So the bed was there, Henry's cot was there, a table was. So I didn't have too far to walk to do anything. And I knew where everything was. It was hard because when Henry woke up in the night and wanted feeding, I couldn't get out of bed and go and get him myself. My partner had to get up, get Henry, pass him to me, then go and get his bottles and then I could feed him. I think that coming home was a massive shock, but also a massive realisation of what had actually happened to me. For Anna, the transition back to living at home was tough and she found living with a stroke difficult to cope with. I didn't want to take antidepressants because I thought that if I took antidepressants, my son would be taken away from me. Only mad, crazy people take antidepressants. So for two years, my doctor was trying to get me to take them and I wouldn't. And in hindsight now, if I'd have taken them earlier, I wouldn't have been in the state that I got in. I got into such an awful mental state whereas if I got out of my bed I was convinced I was having another stroke if I walked to the toilet and my leg hurt I convinced myself it was another stroke so I didn't go out of the flat for two years and I stayed in bed and even going to the toilet was a massive massive mission I would cry I would sob that I was going to have another stroke When I was in hospital, the nearest person to my age was 65 and I was 24. When I came out of hospital, there was absolutely no help whatsoever. So every time I went to the doctors, all of the doctors and the nurses all knew me because I was the girl that had the stroke and strokes don't happen to young people. There wasn't anybody I could talk to. There wasn't anybody... I could ask advice. There was literally no one. I was on my own. I spoke to a charity called Different Strokes, who are for younger stroke survivors. But I think they'd only just starting up. So there still wasn't as much information as there is now. And there wasn't the social media that there is now that there was then. I mean, now I volunteer to go to a stroke unit every other week to sit down and talk to stroke survivors and to say to them, I've been through what you've been through. I can help you. You're not alone. And I'm often asked, did I have anything like that when I was in hospital? And no, I didn't. There was nothing like that. Nothing. No help at all. 
people treated me very differently. They treated me with children's kid gloves like I was going to break. And that probably could have been my mental state that played a part in that. But when I'm in the wheelchair, people didn't speak to me. They'd speak to whoever was pushing me as if I was as if I was mute as well. Everybody's attitude seemed to change around me. I lost a lot of friends because they couldn't handle the fact and they didn't know what to say to me. Because most of the time when somebody spoke to me, I just burst into tears and people couldn't handle that. My mum said to me, look, Henry needs a social life. He needs to go to nursery or something. And I found it hard because I didn't want him taken away from me again because I'd lost the closeness from being in hospital for six months. And we just got that back. And I really, really didn't want to let him to go. But after lots of persuasion from my family, I let him go. And I'd promised my mum that I would walk him to nursery and walk him home again. But I couldn't do that because I was so scared of having another stroke and it didn't matter what I was doing. It always came down to the same thing. So one day my mum made me and I cried the whole way there, like sobbing. And I said, so I can't carry on like this. And I went to my doctors and she said, look, you need to take antidepressants. And I took them. And she arranged for counselling for me as well. And I thought, what is counselling going to do? Speaking, it's not going to change the fact that I've had a stroke. It's not going to change anything. It's just going to be me sitting there just talking about it. And I can't see how that's going to help. But that helped a lot, a hell of a lot. I haven't gone back to work. There's lots and lots of reasons why I haven't got back to work. I haven't got the stamina. I haven't got the strength. I haven't got the mental capacity to deal with it. I get bored with things very, very, very quickly. I've applied for a few jobs that sounded quite interesting, but I sort of think that because I've had the stroke, people just read that on a piece of paper and they're like, hmm, she's had health problems. I don't think we want her. So I haven't gone back to work. I do a lot of charity work of raising awareness and funds for stroke survivors. And I'm happy with that. I'm happy with that. Despite Anna having her stroke just after giving birth to Henry, she's formed an incredibly strong bond with her son. He's only ever known me like this. He doesn't remember what it was like because he was a month old when I had both arms working. He's only ever known me as crazy mum with only one hand that works and all of his friends see me like that as well which is really good because I don't think children see your disabilities as much as adults do they just accept you for who you are from since he started talking we've always said mummy has a bad arm mummy had a stroke and he used to stroke me and say who who stroked you did it hurt and it was quite difficult but then we was in London and we found this children's book on the brain and it separated everything off into colour coded parts. And I got that and I explained it to him from a very, very early age what it was. And we're like best friends now. We have a really, really good relationship. When I first came out of hospital, it was hard because when he cried and I tried to comfort him, he only knew my mum and my partner. So that was really hard for me because I couldn't comfort him as much as my mum and my partner could. 
Anna's stroke came at perhaps the worst possible time. She had a young son and the recovery from stroke took her away from caring for him. However, she's not the kind of person who gives up and her sheer determination along with close family ties have allowed her to maintain her family life and a strong relationship with Henry. Still to come on this episode of Stroke Stories, Anna tells us about her attempts to raise awareness of stroke in the community. We go to deaf and blind communities and speak to them about the dangers of strokes. I do blood pressure, monitoring. I just don't want other people to ever feel alone like I did. And she reflects positively about the impact of stroke on her life. I like to thank my stroke for everything that it's given me because without the stroke, I wouldn't be in the situation I am now. I wouldn't have the relationships with my family that I do now. I wouldn't have the freedom to express myself as much as I do. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Let's hear how Anna has used stroke as an inspiration for a new chapter. After spending two years of not going out and being too frightened to do anything and with the help of counselling I just sort of was like I'm not going to live my life like this anymore you know my life was near enough taken away from me I've spent two years too frightened to do anything is this all life's meant to be no it's not it's not life's meant to be about having fun and about doing things and So I decided one new year that I would go to watch a London theatre show once a month. And I did that and I enjoyed it. And then the next year came and I was like, what can I do? I know I want to speak to a rabbi. I want to know about their religion. I'm going to go for afternoon tea with a rabbi. And I did that. And then I want to do burlesque. I want to give burlesque a try. And I did that. I wanted to give it fire and body burning a try. So I did that. And then once I realized that I could do things, but it was a different way than what an abled body person would do them. I just accepted myself. I'd accepted that I'd had a stroke. I'd accepted that I'm not the person that I once was. So stop trying to be her, let her go and just move on and be who you want to be. The burlesque I've been doing for four years And I went to a class that was meant to be for anybody and everybody can do this. No matter what your ability, you can do this. And I went along and not anybody and everybody could do it because they were taking stockings off. And I could do my left side fine, but my right side, I couldn't do it. And the girls were all running over to help me. And I didn't like it. So I sought out one-to-one lessons. Ruby Jones, who is one of the top 50 burlesque performers in the world. She helped me a lot. And we came up with this act called a stroke survivor's towel. And it's all projecting behind me is pictures before the stroke, pictures of the stroke. 
pictures of when I've had to have my toe cut off because of the stroke. And it's all pictures like that with words that come up behind me while I'm doing these very, very, very small movements. And I've performed this act over the world, across all across England, and it moves people to tears. People are often crying, absolutely floods of tears. And then they all want to talk to me about it afterwards. My mum had a stroke, my nan had one, my dad has. That can be quite, can be quite hard because it's quite emotional to do the act anyway. I feel fantastic that I can express myself however I want to express myself. Anna also volunteers for charities and gives talks on how to prevent having a stroke. I've been helping the British Heart Foundation. We go to schools and speak to school children about the dangers of strokes and how to prevent them because all school children seem to love energy drinks and energy drinks. I've met so many young people that have had strokes direct from drinking energy drinks. It's unbelievable. So I often incorporate that into my talk. We go to deaf and blind communities and speak to them about the dangers of strokes. I do blood pressure monitoring. I just don't want other people to ever feel alone like I did. So I want to help other people to let them know that, one, there is a life after stroke and they're not alone. For Anna, the stroke has ultimately had a positive impact on her life. I like to thank my stroke for everything that it's given me because without the stroke, I wouldn't be in the situation I am now. I wouldn't have the relationships with my family that I do now. I wouldn't have the freedom to express myself as much as I do. My stroke happened for a good reason. It happened for a reason that has changed me and made me the person I am today, has made me want to help others. It's made me want to raise awareness of it. And it's made me want to make people not feel alone. So I thank my stroke. If you ask my mum, though, she always cries when I say that. She's like, but you must want both your arms working. I'm like, it's it's been 15 years. You know, I can't even remember what it was like to have both my arms working. In a few more years, I'm going to have spent most of my life with only having one arm and having two arms. So, no, I, I don't feel any bitterness towards it at all. I thank it. I thank it for what it's brought me. Anna also has plans for the future. I want to perform burlesque in America is what I want to do. I've been offered so many chances to do it, but I just can't afford to get out there. But that I want to do. I want to see my son grow up and watch what a wonderful young man he's been. I want lots of dogs. I just want to be happy. And I am. I'm very happy. I still have panic attacks. I mean, I'm not always happy all the time. If I've had a bad night's sleep and I wake up and my leg is not working as well as it should do and it's dragging behind me, then the panics will start coming in and then I start reverting back to not getting out of my bed, refusing to do anything. I am scared of having another one. I'm really scared of having another one. But to tell you what it was like to have one, to explain it, because what I say is I feel like I'm having another stroke, but I don't know what it feels like to have a stroke. You know, I, I can't put my finger on it and say, 
it felt painful. It felt this, it felt that because I don't remember what it felt like. Yeah, it does still scare me and I'm still worried about it. But those days are becoming fewer and further between than what they once were. I would say acceptance is the main thing, learning to accept what's happened to you, grieving for the person that you once were, knowing that that person won't be back anymore because that person's gone. You need to fully be able to embrace that and accept that before you can let go and move on. You need to accept what's happened to you because until you've done that, you can't get any better. And finally, here's Anna's advice. For you, if you've maybe got a family member or a loved one who has suffered a stroke. Be patient and don't force them to do things they don't want to do. Don't force them. That that could be the worst thing ever. Just be patient, kind, understanding if they're going to cry, which they will. Don't rush to cuddle them. Ask them if they're all right. Ask them what they want to do. Never preempt things and do things for a stroke survivor. Ask them. Do you want to go and make a cup of tea or do you want me to go and make you a cup of tea? That kind of thing, because that could make all the difference. As a new mother, Anna went through an incredibly difficult experience with her stroke. At a time when stroke charities and support groups were in their infancy. However, she's come out the other side of it with a new view on the world and is expressing herself in ways she would never have done before her illness. If you're listening to this podcast and have had a stroke or somebody close to you has and you'd like to learn more, search for The Stroke Association online. And for a dedicated webpage, search NHS Strokes. If you're listening to our podcast on iTunes, we'd love it if you'd subscribe, rate and comment because that will help us spread the word. The Stroke Stories podcast was produced by Aidan Judd. I'm Mark Goodyear. Thank you for listening. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.